we went through a ton of like crazy crap in our career. We've been stolen from, we've been lied to, we've been lied about, we've been betrayed, we've been catfished for an entire year by this lady who created a, a fake dying hospital patient to try and get close to us. And like, it hasn't been easy, even though we've been a successful band that has sold millions of records and we've been all over the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. We are bringing stories of encounter, the ups and downs, and ultimately, the freedom that is found in Jesus. My guest today is joining us from Portland, Oregon. He's been in the music business for over two decades with 12 studio albums and several Dove Award nominations. Their latest single is called End of the World from the band Cutlass. Welcome, James Mead. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, bro. How you doing, man? Here. Oh, I'm quite well. Today is a lovely day in Portland, actually. It's not rainy or foggy today. It's sunny but cold. How cold? Oh, well, not cold <laughs> for a, a homie from Peterborough. Yeah. It's only 32 degrees Fahrenheit, so what's that for you? I don't know the conversion math there. But yeah, yeah. I, I never know either. But as you can see behind me here in the uh, studios here, we've we've got some white fluffy stuff on the ground. Yeah, you do. Just pulled out the good. snowmobile today, took a rip around the property. <laughs> you don't call a snow machine in uh, Peterborough? You know what? We call them snowmobiles, snow machines, sleds. We call okay. them a lot of different things. Yeah. There's a few different words for it, huh? Sometimes cool. just machine. <laughs> Pull out the machine and go rip. Yep, go for a rip. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, man, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for for coming on. Um, it's episode one for season two for us here, so really appreciate that. And um, awesome. man, a couple decades of doing music, and uh, uh, let let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. You you and uh, you guys started this band in when you were in college, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. We were, I, I had just graduated high school in 2001 and, um, the guys in my band were a couple years older and already going to a school in Portland called Warner Pacific college. And yeah, during that summer, we, um, wrote some new music. Um, I had come from a band that they were fans of and was like quite a bit heavier than what Cutlass was before we were called Cutlass and before I joined, um, so I joined the band and we started to write some new music that became our first album. And, uh, I was working at a skate shop that's like at a local mall called zoomies. And, uh, I was working at zoomies and selling skateboards and snowboards and stuff. And I met this guy who was a rep for tooth and nail records, uh, which we learned as we started to kind of chat back and forth about like um, faith and where we went to church and just kind of getting to know each other. Then it came out that like, Oh yeah, I'm in a band. I live here in Portland we live in a house and we write our music and we jam in the basement. And he was like, Oh cool. Well, my brother is Brandon Ebel and he owns tooth and nail records. And uh, I would love to hear your band sometime. So this guy's name is Seth Ebel, Brandon's younger brother, Seth. And he came over to our house. We lived in, uh, you know, Southeast Portland. Um, and he came over to our house and listened to us play. 
uh, we were super excited the night before and then woke up the morning of uh, the date that we had scheduled for this guy to come hang out with us. And it was Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. And uh, we saw what was happening on the news that morning in New York City with the attacks. And um, that was a very heavy day in a lot of ways. Um, but he came over and we um, we went downstairs and like prayed together and sang some worship songs together. And then we played him like one new song. <laughs> And he was like, great. I love it. I'm going to go call Brandon. And dude, from there, it was like less than a week and a half later, we were up in Seattle recording our first demo. And then we like got a record deal with them. And then we went out on tour and it, it was just like, from there, it was just kaboom. Like we started running and running and running, man. Wow. That's, uh, that's meant to be have me running into somebody like that and having that connection. Um, when, yeah. when you grew up before you, you talked about, you guys sort of talked about your faith and stuff. So you grew up in the church and stuff. How real was it in those early days for you? I did not grow up in the church. Oh, you I did not? Did not, no, I didn't have a Christian upbringing at all. Um, I had a very, crazy childhood to be totally honest. Um, my parents divorced when I was one and my dad moved away to Nashville and I grew up seeing him once a year, basically. Um, at the time from up until age 11, I actually grew up right outside New York city in a little town called Ridgefield, Connecticut. And, um, in, uh, when I was six, my mom met a guy who, uh, became part of my life from age six to age 11. And he was incredibly physically abusive to me. So I spent about, you know, five years of my childhood right in that middle age area there from age six to age 11 being, um, physically abused. And, uh, it was crazy, but we basically fled across the country, um, to get away from him after they divorced when I was 11 and um, moved to New Mexico for one year and lived with my grandparents in a really little town out in the mountains. And, uh, and then that following summer, we, uh, my mom had become a teacher. And so we finally had like the same schedule from, you know, time off from school. And so that summer we drove all around the country and like visited you know, Grand Canyon and different national parks. And we drove to all these different States and we drove up to Oregon to visit family. And I just fell in love with Oregon. It really felt like home. And, um, you know, we were staying with my aunt, uncle and cousin, and just, it was kind of my first time being around family so much. And so we decided to stay and, um, my wife was born and raised in Albany, Oregon, but I arrived in Albany for, uh, seventh grade was when I showed up. So, um, went to high school there and, uh, we got married at age 20 and then moved away. But, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get saved. I didn't come to faith in Jesus until I was 17 years old. And those first few years living in Albany, um, when I was a young teenager, I really, I felt so angry about my childhood, about like being abused and, my dad leaving and I was so scared and mad and 
exhausted from holding in all that rage. And I was, I was like doing drugs and getting in fights all the time. And, and I was in a band as well. And that was probably one of the only productive things I was doing with my time was, you know, sitting in my room and playing along to Metallica and like cannibal corpse records and <laughs> smashing and all sorts of different stuff, just like playing along. And then we would, uh, we rented a storage unit together, me and my bandmates. And so we would go to our storage unit and jam and write songs and practice for upcoming shows and stuff. But up until age 17, uh, when I almost died from alcohol, alcohol poisoning, um, I finally went to church and I heard the gospel message presented clearly through the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And I knew that God was watching and waiting for my return and saw me while I was still quite a distance off and that he was showing me, he was running to meet me where I was to wrap me up in his arms and welcome me home and then walk me the rest of the way home. And I accepted Jesus that night and became a Christian. Uh, and I met Lindsay, my wife that night as well. And, um, yeah, that was when my life transformed, but no, I didn't grow up in a Christian upbringing, uh, at all. I was the first person in my family to really like make a big step forward in faith and, and, and give my life to Christ. Wow. Praise God. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Praise God for that. So, um, at that point, did that, were you like, were you writing music then? And at that point, when you had that transition, how did that change your, your writing or, yeah, I mean, great question. Yeah. And the, and this That's type crazy. of music that you listen to too, like, were you still a big fan of cannibal corpse and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so I started playing music at a really young age. Um, I, you know, as a really young kid, I found that I could sing. And so I was in like different choir and singing stuff. And then, uh, in third grade, I started playing stringed instruments, violin, viola, cello, and growing up, I really loved a lot of different kinds of music. I had parents that were just like in love with music and, you know, uh, my mom was a total Beatle maniac and, uh, my dad showed me every cool band you can imagine from the late eighties and nineties. The first time I heard Nirvana, for example, was my dad. The first time I heard rage against the machine was my dad. The first time I heard tool was my dad, you know? So like I had parents that were showing me a lot of music and, uh, and then from violin, viola and cello, when we moved to New Mexico, my grandpa gave me his trumpet and taught me brass instruments. So I got really into jazz uh, and I loved classical music growing up. And, um, and then I found a guitar under a bed in my grandparents' house and I started playing guitar. Um, and so I had already been playing music most of my life and started writing songs when I was like 12. Um, uh, in fact, at that time, the very first song I wrote was like a very like punk rock kind of song and it was called helium and I still remember it, but it's really bad. So I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I grew up with such a love for music and such a fascination for music. I was always really influenced by movies too. And I wanted to write and record movie scores. I wanted to be a composer and write scores for movies. I was really influenced by like you know, obviously John Williams and Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard and Danny Elfman, of course. Um, 
And yeah, I I had been writing music for a while by the time I was in a band as a young teenager. And yes, when I became a Christian at age 17, I I didn't stop listening to the music that I liked. I've always thought that's kind of silly, to be honest, um, unless people really feel like that brings them to a dark place or brings them to a place where struggles and temptations that they used to associate with that music are so uh, inextricably tied to them that they really can't separate the two. I totally understand that. But I don't agree with the attitude of like, once you become a Christian, you can't listen to any music that's not Christian music. I don't agree with that at all. Um, I think people should make their own choice based on a maturity about who they are in Christ and where they're at in their faith journey. But to me, music was something I was always analyzing and, and reviewing in my head. Like even nowadays, as I'm talking in almost any situation, there is like in my head, there's music going on in the background. And I'm thinking about either songs I'm going to write or I am writing because I mostly compose in my head and, or I have other various melodies and things and themes stuck in my head that already are from other writers. I don't know, like I can't turn it off. And so to me, even though I became a Christian, I was like, well, I, now I just get to discover all this Christian music. I'm not going to stop listening to Metallica I did have discernment to stop listening to a few artists. For example, I think I mentioned Tool was one of the bands my dad showed me when I was a young teen. And as I grew in my faith, I would listen to the lyrics that Maynard was writing. And I was like, this is really anti-Jesus. And I'm not comfortable listening to this. So I would have discernment for like specific things I felt like uncomfortable listening to from that point forward. But I didn't chuck out heavy metal and I didn't stop listening to rap and I didn't stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was all so informative to me and so much a foundation for me as a musician. I was like, I, I see who Jesus is so clearly and this music does not affect that for me. Yeah. But I get it when people are, are like, man, I just can't listen to that anymore. I totally get it. Yeah. I just think we shouldn't be telling everyone you have to, stop this and that and this and that, you know? Yeah, totally. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Maynard because uh, I was a big Tool fan too. And I'm sure you know Great A Perfect band. Circle and yeah. and that's like Judith. And I've actually prayed for him because I can hear the brokenness in it. And it's funny that now that I've come to faith, I hear exactly like what you're saying. There's, uh, yeah. you know, there's a brokenness there. But anyways, we can talk about that after. But um, well, no, I would love to cap onto that, actually. I think that that's beautiful that you feel prompted in your heart by the Holy Spirit to pray for him. And I hope you continue to do that. And here's why. Shortly after I became a Christian, uh, in my bedroom, I had like all these band posters and like pictures of guitar players I really loved. And I had this picture. So I'm still in high school at this point. I had this picture on my wall of Brian Welch from Corn. And this was probably 1999. So he wasn't yet a follower of Jesus. And now, of course, a lot of people know this, but Brian is a Christian. He loves Jesus, outspoken man of God, man of faith, like really cool dude. But at that point in my life, uh, I had just become a Christian 
And one day I was sitting there playing guitar on my bed and I looked up at that picture and I really felt the Lord just kind of prompt me to start praying for him and say, like, I want you to pray for this guy every day. So every day I would pray for him. I would pray for Brian, like, Lord, how cool would it be if you saved that guy? How cool would it be if that guy turned his life around and committed his life to you and had access to speaking the truth of the gospel to so many of Corn's uh, fans? That would be so cool. And I just started praying for him all the time. And, uh, you know, that's why I think it's important that God has put that on your heart. Like with Maynard, like keep going, keep praying for him. Pray for Marilyn Manson too. I mean, let's pray for these people. Like the power of prayer, the power of God to reach out and touch people's lives and transform um, in the way that his son Jesus wants to cover our sins and and everything. Like these people deserve to know the gospel too. They deserve to know that God loves them very much. And whatever their viewpoints are about him that are so skewed, it's not him. Like, they have a misunderstanding of who they think Jesus is. And so I think we should pray for them. Yeah. So I I just find it. It's fascinating to me because his, like that song, Judith, you probably know this, right? But his mom was just a, like loved Jesus. She knew Jesus. Right. And, and got sick. And that song about him not understanding how she could have that faith to Mm -hmm. a God who's letting her suffer. And, I that pre-faith that song was it meant nothing to me it was just like the music was just so good and but then when I came to faith it's like I could hear the brokenness in it yeah. of and uh it yeah just like it it uh it hurts my heart as opposed yeah. to other bands that are just like full of anger who need prayer too but I don't know there's just a level of brokenness so then well thanks for the encouragement I will continue for yeah. sure to pray for him um, James, I also find it fascinating. It's such a gift that the talent that you have, I mean, I play guitar, um, but I just like, I can't write songs. I can't write my own music. I don't have that gift, but God's given me the ability to be able to listen to, to, to play by ear. So I play a lot of other people's stuff. That's kind of how I would wind down and, and just, just enjoyed, you know, just playing along with CDs of bands that I liked. Um, but dude, to play violin and, and, and brass and and then find a guitar and just start playing it. That's just such a gift from the Lord. And to, to be writing music at such a young age is fascinating to me. Thank you. Yeah. There, I mean, especially now with like our new music, there is, there are very few things I love more than being in a studio and creating a new song from nothing. Like I love the process of it so much. Uh, at this point in my career, I don't feel intimidated by that at all. I feel calm and confident and capable. I feel happy in the studio. I feel like, you know, we're moments away from a great idea popping out. And like I, like I said, I I tend to compose in my head mostly anyway. So by the time I'm ready to record a song, um, it's pretty much entirely finished in my head and I know what all the parts are. And I, you know, at this point I've been playing guitar for so long that as I'm composing in my head, I don't need to have a guitar in hand. I know like I can visualize what all the parts are as I'm composing the whole song. 
And I don't know, it's just, it's just the way I write. Like I, at this point have also worked with enough professional people that I realized that that is a, a unique or strange way. Mo- most people have instrument in hand and, and piece things together. But, um, you know, to me, uh, it, I mostly like either just thinking about all of it or I'll sing the parts or, wh- or whistle the parts or like, I don't have to have a guitar in hand to, to finish a song. Um, but I really love the process of it all. And, um, it's been really fun to get back in the studio and write new songs. So wild. Um, so, well, let's go back to when, so you've come to faith, you've, you, you met John, you've, you formed Cutlass and get in with tooth and nail. And like you said, boom, all of a sudden you're touring and stuff starts happening. So take us through those, how how does that look what does that look like in the christian world and how did that either delay or increase your faith like as you start going out and you know when you're playing gigs and stuff and yeah um it it did not necessarily delay my faith um it didn't uh, in a lot of ways, I don't think it really increased my faith either. Sort of like how I'm able to delineate like the music from what my beliefs are about Jesus. Like I never felt like music influenced how I felt about Jesus or what I was, uh, you know, understanding of him. So, so too, my experiences as we started to travel, they were frustrating often because I saw people that were um, kind of proclaiming to represent Jesus and then not really, you know, behind the scenes or in personal uh, interaction. Or um, I saw the way that kind of church um can I, I think that there's churches that aren't like this, of course, but this is a problem that is cropping up a lot lately. Churches, institutional church, can have a tendency to like systemically abuse the people on staff and like the people that are working there. Um, they're overworked and underpaid and taken advantage of, or the church itself is trying to manipulate the people that go there, um, for the benefit of the leader that's in charge. Um, I started to see those things as we traveled around. And again, I was like brand new to the whole dynamic of churchianity at that point. And, and yet I never felt like, like those things made me indignant and angry but they never affected how I felt about God because I knew that that's not who he proclaims himself to be. And that's not how he proclaims himself to be like that. Those representations of him are unfortunate, but they're not him. So it didn't delay my faith. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, um, we, we started a podcast to like talk about a lot of these things in our 20 years of touring and traveling and stuff. So we're, we're talking about a lot of these stories and experiences, uh, you know, at length on our podcast episodes, but, um, we went through a ton of like crazy crap in our career. We've been 
stolen from, we've been lied to, we've been lied about, we've been betrayed, we've been catfished for an entire year by this lady who created a, a fake dying hospital patient to try and get close to us. And um, we've had, you know, I've been personally, like literally physically attacked. Um, you know, it, it's been crazy. Like it hasn't been easy, even though we've been a successful band that has sold millions of records and we've been all over the world. Like it hasn't been easy. It's been crazy and traumatic in a lot of ways. You know, how, how do you, how, not to get totally into it and stuff, but how do you navigate stuff like that? Like uh, somebody that created a fake sick person, like how long does that go on before you realize, man, this is a, you know, not real. And then, you know, how well, do you steer out yeah, of that? Yeah. I mean, that went on for a, like over a year. Wow. And yeah. So now, I mean, I'm, I'm in therapy talking about a lot of those things and the traumas of the hardships of our career, uh, the traumas, uh, throughout my childhood, of course, you know, I, I had never gone to professional counseling with a therapist at any point in my life up until this last year. And even just my childhood prior to becoming a professional musician had plenty of, you know, really gnarly events and really traumatic things. So I'm glad to be going through that process now and working on a lot of that stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, it, I think that along the way, um, if, if you knew us better, you would understand how funny this is, but along the way, John Micah and I became really close friends and the reason it's funny is because we were probably the two most unlikely people in the original lineup of Cutlass to like still be standing side by side 20 years later. Um, very, very different from each other. And yet, you know, he's my brother and I love him. And um, we've been through everything together now. And I, he has my back and I have his back and um, so I think that that has a lot to do with it, you know, um, like we had each other and the more time went on, the more we knew we could trust that about each other as we went through those things. Um, and we've learned to love and accept what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and, uh, it happens to balance out really well, which is awesome. So, um, you know, our families are really close to my wife and his wife are best friends. And, um, we, we do things together to like spend special time together, not just go on tour or do business. Like we, for the last 10 years, we have gone on vacation together every summer up to Alaska. Um, and we go to this really remote place called Port Allsworth in the middle of Lake Clark national park and visit our friends there. And, um, we just take time to like really invest in, our friendship together. And I think that was probably the, the main way that we got through all of that garbage. Cause you know, and, and one of our upcoming songs is about this topic, but like, I, I would say most Christians have experienced this when, when you realize that another Christian person, and especially a person that you're like close to has betrayed you or lied about you or done something to try to hurt you. Um, you know, um, it, it is such a shock to your system and it misrepresents who God is 
which I think is is kind of the deepest sadness within those situations. So knowing that we had each other and now being able to like put that into music and music that we really care about and feels authentic to us and write songs that we know are going to connect with people, all that, um, that's kind of the way to get through it and heal. But, um, you know, we're, we also, we've hit a, a point in our career where we've decided to just be honest about those things for a long time. We had to like keep our mouths shut and like uphold the, um, illusion of certain types of reputation. And there was so much pressure and so much, um, so many things that were contingent upon the next, like, you know, we, for example, John Micah has struggled with mental health and obsessive compulsive disorder for 20 years. And on our upcoming podcast episode next week, um, is the first time that he's publicly addressed these things. So I won't let the cat out of the bag there, but like, you know, we, we've just, we've learned that we can support each other. We've learned how to be honest about those things with people now and invite people into the freedom of like talking about those things and still holding on tight to Jesus. Like I think we're seeing in the world right now, this whole trend towards the deconstruction movement. And we really want to remind people that, um, that there should be a healthy reconstruction of faith yeah. deconstruction too often nowadays is synonymous with destruction. Like it's people that are already, you know, inches away from jamming the self-destruct button and they've already decided that they're going to abandon their faith. But destruction is unhealthy. Deconstruction is sometimes necessary because we've got to undo those lies that we've learned about God that simply aren't true about him. We've got to cut those things away and, and, and hold on tighter to him. So we want to help point people to Jesus and restore people back to faith who have been through, frankly, the same kinds of struggles that we have. It's, um, it's really a sign of a strong faith or a strong understanding in, in Christ too, when you're betrayed or stuff like that happens. A lot of times people blame God. Or like, how yeah. could God al- allow that instead of realizing that it's the mistakes of people that doesn't yeah. necessarily reflect him, right? So that's, uh, yeah. and what what a, to, to go through all that stuff too, and just looking at your discography, you guys were cranking out a record every year, every two years. And so it was quite an intense, you were saying earlier, you guys have been on a little bit of a hiatus for five, six years, but yeah, man, bro, like, in the studio record a record go out i imagine each time you're you're going on tour and then you're writing yeah. that's a long yeah. that's a lot of records in really a short period of time yeah with a lot of people telling us what we should do next all the time so that's so. that's my other question dude is uh, like you had said and and just going through your your records you have something kind of harder and then a worship record and then something harder again. So was that your guys decision to, to lay it out that way? Or was that pressure from record companies or how does that work? Yes. And no, it was our decision. Yes, ultimately. Um, but there was, there was a lot of talk about like, 
um, you know, what we should do. And there was a lot of influence from a lot of people pretty invested in, you know, we, we were young kids. I was 19 when we got a record deal, we became really successful really fast. Um, and so all of a sudden there was a lot of people trying to tell us you should do this. You should do that. If you want to be successful, you got to do this. And, you know, and, uh, and for better or worse, we, we really tried to be authentic our whole career. I, I would say that those worship albums are important and are authentic. You know, we were, we started off as a worship band um, and we played often at our home church um, all the time, um, you know, and we would do that out on the road as well. Like if we were playing a concert, sometimes we would go do like a worship morning at a church if we had a connection with that church or something. Um, so that has always been important to us. And we even tried to do very um, inspired and personal um, things within the worship music realm, like on our album glory, for example, that album was uh, almost entirely original songs. So we were writing new music instead of like rehashing worship standards written by other bands or other artists. We were writing new songs and we were as a church, we were with our home church. I mean, we were studying the book of revelation at the time. And so we wanted to write like a concept album about worship the concept being a lot of modern worship music that is marketed via Christian radio is um, very introspective in its nature. It's like, I feel like this, this is my, like, Lord, please do this for me. That's like the way that the kind of songs are structured. But if you look at any biblical examples of worship, um, it, you know, like in Revelation chapter four, as all the nations are gathered as a sea of glass before the throne room. And then Jesus uh, walks to the throne and all, and it says like the multitudes, all of the nations of earth, you know, it's basically like a rock concert. They're like, Oh my gosh, there he is. And any scenes of worship that we see in the Bible tend to be very much like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy are you. Like, it's not about me in those moments. Those moments of worship are not introspective. It's like, it's all exaltation praise, you know? And so that's what we wanted Glory to be about. And if you look at the liner notes in the CD booklet of Glory, um, I, I basically made like a concordance with each song where we meant for glory to be like a Bible study for the listener. So you could listen to the songs and read along with the scripture references with each song and like turn to those pages in your Bible as you listen to the song and like read along. And, um, you know, so that we put a lot of work into that and we recorded it with uh, all the vocals. We tried to do gang vocals so that it sounded like a chorus of people all singing together all the time like it would perhaps in heaven. So, you know, we did things like that on purpose too. And it, it wasn't like inauthentic to us, but um, I think 
you know, a lot of the business side of things starts to squash out the art, you know, like if you're trying to have the, the perfect song to play on Christian radio for your next single that you're setting up, um, frankly, Christian radio doesn't know what they want and they have narrowed down their target demographic to being one hypothetical person that they refer to as Becky soccer mom, who is late forties, white lady who wants to hear I'm an overcomer all the time. And frankly, that doesn't leave room for creativity with all the other artists. If they're all trying to sound like what this radio format, hypothetical target audience wants to listen to, that's such a narrow, uh, you know, that's such a narrow field. Like that doesn't leave room for bands like disciple and, and, you know, um, I think of some of my favorite artists who kind of, you know, are no longer bands anymore. Like PAX 217 was super rad and um, uh, they were really creative and they were kind of out there and, and really fun. But like, I don't know when, when everything has to be crammed into this one target demographic for their test audience, it, it just, it squishes out all of the creativity and, that part of things that that part of everything got really unfun after a while <laughs> and uh i nowadays we just want to do what we want to do and thankfully the way the music industry has changed i think we have so much more direct access to our fan base now and we can really like we can really connect with our fans and understand exactly what they love about us and it turns out that what they love about us has been the hard rock side of Cutlass the whole time. And we are excited about reconnecting with our fans in that way. And in a way that seems way more authentic for me, at least. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And so and interesting, too, because even even in mainstream, right, with with uh, demographics and searching for that and trying to make the money or for us here in Canada too there was has always been canadian content so when i was younger you would be you you could your exposure to music was very minimal you know pre pre internet pre youtube and all that and there was so much canadian content which you know i get to you want to promote your local bands as well but nowadays yeah. like you say there's so many different formats and ways you can get your material out there and people that are hungry for stuff Totally. don't want cookie cutter and can find it and, and stuff like that. It's really good. Totally. And this, the style that we're kind of pushing ourselves into with these new songs, it, it takes us to different places within the market space. Like these new songs are ending up on different kinds of playlists that we wouldn't have access to if we were still like stuck in that like CCM kind of sound. Uh, you know, now we, with how heavy some of these new songs are, it's like on playlists with like Slipknot and then Cutlass. <laughs> and, uh, so we get to like put our music, uh, in front of a whole new audience and let them discover us and discover the good news of the gospel that Jesus loves them. And then he has a plan for them. And, um, that's what we, that's what we're passionate about. 
And music speaks to the soul too. So that's really good to get it out there. Before I came to faith, I liked POD. I had no idea that they were Christian yeah. dudes. And then when I came to faith and heard their stuff again, it yeah. it spoke to me in a totally different different way. Yeah. And uh, well, just within like the metalcore genre, for example, August Burns Red is one of the most respected bands around the world within that heavy metal scene. And I would put them up against just about any other band in the genre to any listener, whether they're a Christian listener or not. And I think that they would be like, dang, this band is absolutely incredible. You know, same with like Demon Hunter, for example, or, you know, and yeah, that's what I want to do. I mean, we love that kind of music and we know what we're doing (laughs) and there's no reason that we shouldn't be putting our music into that marketplace as well. Yeah. Demon Hunter was the first band that some Christian people who knew I was a metalhead pushed pushed my way uh, when I first came to faith. Hey, listen to this. (laughs) And how did you, how did you feel when you were were like, wow? Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, it opened a whole new, it was like a whole new aisle in the music store. Right. For me, which was, uh, which was so good. And, you know, going way back to the beginning uh, or earlier on when you were talking about listening and you shouldn't have to stop listening to certain music. um, I just wanted to toss in on that too, that I agree with you in that statement. I'm kind of jumping way, way back, but uh, I found that the same thing. I, I, it's, it's the music that I like. I like this guitar sound like we were talking before we got on here and, but the Holy spirit will convict you of stuff. That's not good or whether it takes you to a dark place or just not. And that's what kind of happened to me. I, Jesus freed me from anger that I was carrying. So some of the angry stuff that I listened to, I just didn't need to, I just wasn't drawn to it anymore, but there was still, there was still so much, so much else. And then bands like yourself and like crutch and, and different things that were that sound that I like and just filled the plate. And as you grow in your faith with Jesus, like, you don't have to make rules about what you can and can't listen to. If you are spending time with Jesus, you won't be drawn to that kind of music anyway. Yeah. You know, like you just, like you said, you won't need it anymore. It's not part of your fabric anymore. That anger, that riot within your soul isn't happening. So you're not drawn to that anymore. And I mean, it doesn't mean you abandon the genre entirely because there's all sorts of really fun, really talented artists to listen to. But like, some of the stuff that would be problematic, you know, like that says that sensitivity I felt towards how Maynard was singing about Jesus in like tool songs. I used to love tool. I used to listen to them all the time. And I, they're still, obviously I'm going to say that they're a talented band of musicians, but I just, I'm not drawn to that anymore because I can't listen to someone talk about Jesus like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's my reason. Not, not because everyone says secular music is bad. My reason is I can't listen to someone talk about Jesus like that. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Um, so James, you, you guys took a bunch of years, bunch of years off regroup, yeah. you and John figuring stuff out, getting some healing for, you know, all the, the junk and the stuff that you guys went through. Yeah. Um, 
now you've regrouped. So I'm going to, I know you can't hear it, but I'm going to play your, your newest track end of the world. And can you just talk about how you guys decided, let's get back into it, how you started writing stuff and what that looked like? Yeah. You know, it was a little over a year ago. We recently had um, Thanksgiving down here in the States and a year ago on Thanksgiving, um, John Micah and his wife Shannon were here visiting us in Portland and we were sitting around the table just talking about what we felt like God's plan for Cutlass was and is it over? Do we need to quit? Is everything you know finally done or do we feel like there's a future and do we feel like God has a plan for us? And we all agreed that we really felt like God had a plan for us still and that there was still, you know, I, I said, well, I still feel really inspired to write more new music. And um, we talked about starting our podcast and we talked about the possibility of, you know, planning a tour again and all those things. And, um, you know, over the last few years, not only with what we have been through, but with what the world has gone through with the pandemic and in the states there was like especially in portland oregon there was a lot of riots and angry uh people um and there was just so much like pain and chaos everywhere i felt like we needed to write songs that were holding up a mirror to all that kind of stuff so words of fire came out in september uh, and it is sort of inspired by um, all of the riots and stuff that were happening in Portland at the time. Um, and it's also uh, allegorically about Revelation chapter 11 with the two witnesses. Um, and then this new song, End of the World, um, you know, I wanted the intro of the song to sound like those kind of like movie score things that I was inspired by, you know, growing up. And uh, I really wanted it to have that sort of like gritty um, doom uh, and like kind of, you know, just the, the tension that's created in movies like Alien, for example. And um, so the beginning of that song starts with, you know, a recording of Earth from outer space. And then there's these seven huge trumpet blasts and then basically when the song kicks in is supposed to be like the apocalypse is starting it's called end of the world and i wanted it to be like it was the end of the world <laughs> but it's also an evangelistic plea you know um it it is time to decide it is time to choose your fighter it is there's a there's kind of a hidden easter egg in the middle of the song um and uh, you know, style-wise and composition-wise, um, I was experimenting with playing like seven-string guitars um, with really like low tunings and um, uh, building basically like, you know, our, our singer, John Micah, is, is a great singer in my opinion, has a great voice, great ear for melody. And so I was writing all these lyrics and melodies for him thinking like, you know, he's got such a great voice. This style of the song is kind of produced like a heavy metal song, but I don't want him to just be doing like, you know, screaming lyrics. 
he's got a great voice so we still want those like poppy melodic hooks and so i was writing the song with that in mind and um yeah i i really love this song and i love where the new songs are going um the songs that our audience uh still hasn't heard yet um i'm excited for you guys to rediscover cutlass as we are rediscovering ourselves well let's hear a little bit of this right now loud the way it should be Yeah, it's good, bro. Thank you. Really good. Thank you. Thank you. It almost pains me to to fade it out, but <laughs> but we are talking, so. But yeah, check that out, friends. So what is uh, what's what's coming up next for you guys? And you were you were talking, so you've you've dropped you've dropped these as individuals. What what's uh, what's happening in the next? Well, in the beginning of the new year for you guys. Yeah, in the beginning of next year, you're going to hear um, another new song release and um, an announcement about a new album. I am writing a new full-length album right now and uh, working on producing that with my friend Josiah Prince, who is in the band Disciple and great producer produces a lot of the hard rock stuff that's happening in Christian music right now. Um, so working with Josiah to produce these songs, um, and we will keep recording episodes of our podcast, which is called rock in a hard place. And listeners can subscribe to that pretty much anywhere. You would listen to podcasts on, you know, Apple or Spotify or Google or wherever. Um, so we're still working on our podcast and um, releasing episodes every other week um, and planning uh, for more show dates and possibly some like European festivals and stuff. And, and then maybe another big announcement about tour stuff next year too. So we're kind of like, you know, like the, the words of fire lyrics where the dead come back to life. We're like coming back, you know, and um, I'm also preaching and, and uh, you know, co-pastoring a church here in Portland, Oregon. So um, I travel a bit as a public speaker as well. And I go preach or go um, teach at different conferences and stuff like that. So uh, John, Mike and I will both be doing some public speaking together and I'll be traveling to do some of that too. We're doing new music, new videos, new podcast, possibly working on a book um, and starting a coffee company too. <laughs> oh, so you don't really have much going on. <laughs> no, just a couple. Oh my gosh. I'm trying. Yeah. That's yeah. just a few things, bro. That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. So the, the podcast is rock, rock in the hard place. Rock in a hard place. That's right. It's a play on words. Yeah. The, the, the phrase stuck between a rock and a hard place. And and we, were, you know, we thought it would be kind of 
um, apropos to call it rock in a hard place and talk about what that looks like both metaphorically and literally with our stories of our career. Yeah. Um, you talked about possibly doing some, um, shows in Europe, some, some festivals. I, I wanted to ask you earlier, did you guys do, even though you were like in the Christian scene, did you do some, did you get in on some other just like normal festivals? Not normal, but you know what I mean? Like some mainstream festivals as well. Did you guys get to do some of those as well? Um, not really. Um, over our career, we have been like early on when we were more known as a rock band in the first few years, we were played pretty heavily on MTV and VH1 and um, uh, much music, which I think was a Canadian thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much more. music going on and much music now, but it, oh, there was okay. a lot back in the day. Yeah. So we were, we were on all those kinds of things and, you know, played sometimes at like, you know, just like regular rock clubs and stuff. But we got pretty deep into the pockets of like being a CCM staple artist for so long. Um, we really just, in this phase of our career, we really want to be a band that is taking the gospel to the lost. Yeah. And we want to write music that helps us connect like that. And we want to play shows that help us connect like that. So um, that is, you know, that is important to us in the kind of shows that we're booking as well. So um, we are looking at playing like mainstream rock festivals and stuff in this upcoming year and like state fairs and things like that. And then some of the big festivals that happen around, uh, you know, Europe and, and, um, and then trying to plan for doing our own tour, but, um, that'll be, yeah, that'll be an announcement that we make next year as well. Awesome. Yeah. James, I could just talk to you for hours, bro, but, uh, <laughs> we're starting to run out of time. So man, thank you so much for taking some time to come and talk to us, uh, on the show today. Um, yeah, I'm honored. Thank you for having me as a guest. I appreciate it so much. Yeah. I appreciate you. Um, so, so again, friends rock in a hard place is the podcast. You can find the music on cutlass.com. Yes. Yeah, and um, Spotify and Apple, anywhere you listen to music, YouTube. Um, and any social media, Instagram, anything like that to follow either you yeah. or the band? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're on all of those things. Um, Instagram is official cutlass. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on TikTok. Um, my personal uh, Instagram is Cutlass. Um, so my name kind of J.R. Mead, M-E-A-D, Cutlass. And um, yeah, just follow us, send us a message, you know, tell us what you think of the new music. And I would really encourage everyone to tune into the podcast. That's uh, I'm sure you know, doing a podcast is really fun, actually. And uh, I think that we're on to something special with ours and the things that we're talking about seem to be really important and seem to reflect all the conversations I keep having lately with people, it, it seems like we're all kind of talking about the same things. Like how do we, how do we 
find Jesus in all of this and, and hold on to him even tighter. So that's what we want to do. We want to encourage people in their faith and let them know that we've gone through a lot of the same things as all of you. And we love you so much. And we're so thankful for all of your support for 20 years. And we're super excited about what's next. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check out that podcast. Absolutely. Uh, James, I just have one more question for you. Uh, okay. as we fade out here um you guys have been through so much so much uh like good stuff launching your career at exploding really good writing all kinds of records having it come to you guys and touring and stuff but at the same time a lot of negative things coming in for both you and john and um and huge and a lot of lineup changes and stuff like that so if if you could talk to somebody young coming into the same genre of music that's really really super excited what kind of advice would you give them about leaning on the lord and stuff as they go through their musical career i think that this is a lot easier um, at this point in time for the music industry for a young artist to kind of retain their originality and their individuality. So I would say um, surround yourself with a team of people that fights for your vision and doesn't fight your vision um, on a business side of things. Surround yourself with a team of people that are going to try and understand what you want to accomplish with your music and how you want to accomplish it and um, protect that above everything else. So that's my advice for the business side and the kind of the music artistry side of it. Faith-wise, I would just say what, kind of what I've said a few times in this episode is you need to remember that the people that have hurt you are not God and the things that they have done, that's not the heart of the Father. That's not who He is and that's not what He's like. So as we all endeavor to be followers of Jesus and submit to Him, look to the Bible and look to um, his examples of what he shows you he's like. Uh, remember that he's the God that wants to walk and talk with you. One of the very first things we ever read about God in scripture, he creates Adam and Eve and he spends time with them in the garden daily. He's walking with them and talking with them. That's one of the first things God wants you to know about him is that he wants to be present with you and he wants to hear your prayers. And remember also the first example of how he responded to sin. Too many people feel like God will never accept them or God will reject them. But in the first example of sin that we read in the Bible, God rushes to Adam and Eve to reestablish connection and communication with them and then immediately reveals his plan for salvation through uh, the coming of his son Jesus Christ and that's in Genesis chapter 3 if you want to read that that particular part of scripture is referred to as the proto-evangelicum or the first gospel um, that's who God is he loves you and he wants to run to you like the prodigal son story he wants to run to you to reestablish connection with you and you will find that he is a good and gracious father that longs to restore people uh, and that is what you need to remember not what has happened to you at the hands of other people um, so pray for them 
but there that's not God that's not who he is and you need to be vigilant about separating those two things in your head because Satan wants to steal kill and destroy your joy as you get to walk in the peace uh, that Jesus offers and it's a peace that surpasses all understanding but you need to remember that that's who he is he wants to be present with you <laughs>